I am so glad to see you this morning. I have been looking forward to this week, getting to spend this day with you, this morning with you. Um, We are teaching through, Cole and I are teaching through a series uh, that has been taught to us by a mentor. Oh my goodness, it was so compelling in our own lives that we want to do the best we can to share it with you too, because I believe it can be as compelling in your life as well. And that's why we're doing it. Um, I, I love looking at souvenir t-shirts. Um, I, they're so expensive though. I, I usually don't buy them unless I'm in Branson at uh, Billy Gale's. They're only $12.99. I'll get some of that. But other ones are so expensive. I can't remember how expensive this one was. I got this in September. I usually do not buy them, but I just, it was a weak moment and I paid too much for it, but I really liked the color. And so I bought it at, uh, in the Smoky Mountains. Um, the very first day I wore this shirt, very first day, um, stains all down the front. Yeah. From lunch. Yeah. Um, I sure did. And so it was infuriating for me because uh, I'm so cheap. (laughs) It really bothered me. And so I worked really hard to get that stain out. I mean, I wiped it. I soaked it. I sprayed it. I soaked it some more. All those things, just trying to get the stain out of this shirt. And you're not going to be able to see this, but I'm going to turn around anyway. Um, all, All of that to say, I did get the stain out, but what I ended up with, oh yeah, you can see it, great. Two bleach spots. <laughs> two washed out bleach spots. So now I just have two washed out bleachy spots, stains, you know, welcome to my life. And maybe you noticed the shirt that I'm wearing is not stained. And that's because, um, uh, that's because, well, I, I didn't take care of this shirt. I didn't clean this shirt. Someone else did who knows what they're doing. They cleaned it. They got all the spots out, not me. And we all have kind of our own stain problems, and I'm not speaking about clothes anymore. We all have life stains. And if you're anything like me, then you get a lot of those. And we figure that there's got to be a way to take care of that. Uh, There's got to be a way. Usually we can't really get them out, but we can at least camouflage them, hide them, do something to help us and other people forget about our life stains that we have. And listen, we're not perfect. Of course, we're going to have life stains. Every single one of us in here, and that's why we do say we're the perfect place for imperfect people. We are all stained up, right? We are. We can't even meet our own standards, much less God's standards. We do all sorts of things to try to cover up these life stains. Trying to cover them up, trying to make them better. Here are the things we do. Just kind of think about it. We work harder. We work smarter. We try to be nicer to people. Uh, We make future promises to God. We try to negotiate with God and on and on and on and on we go. If somehow, some way we hope that we can kind of clean things up in our life, make it a little bit better, make some course corrections. If we can do that, if by chance we can get a little better, then here's what usually happens. This next thing, it's all about self-righteousness. That's what happens. It's the human condition. See, with self-righteousness, here's here's why that happens. 
we have this thing called a comparison trap. So I take my list of sins and I compare it to your list of sins. And as long as my list of sins is not as bad as your list of sins, I feel really good about myself. But if my list of sins is worse than your list of sins, then I feel really bad about myself. It's a comparison trap. But when we kind of think that we win, oh, my list is not as bad as your list, and here's what happens every single time. It results in judgment. Yeah. Yeah, judgment. I I will begin to judge anybody who sins worse than I do. And it creates all kinds of pride. Now, if your list of sins is not as bad as mine, then it's going to create all kinds of, in my life, envy. And it will create all kinds of extra shame in my life. See, we're all broken human beings. And those same type of broken humans were also all around Jesus. And so we have been journeying through the high points of the uh, biography gospel of Mark. He had an eyewitness account that describes this, these broken people around Jesus. I want to look at that this morning. We're in uh, one of many. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to start with verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, that is like the feds from Washington, D.C. showing up at your house. (laughs) That's what it was like. And so they get there, and they're trying to catch Jesus in something that they could nail him for. Verse 2, they noticed that some of his, these Jesus's disciples, failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, Mark explains what this is. He says, The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient tradition. Similarly, they do not eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions, Mark says, that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles, verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law ask him, they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the age-old tradition when they eat first performing the hand-washing ceremony? Whew, okay, that was a lot. Let's see if we can unpack this, uh, this washing thing a little bit, because cleanliness laws to us seem a little bit strange. Although every time we go to the bathroom at a restaurant, we see the sign that says what? Employees must. Yes, we're thankful for that. Um, But other than that, these laws seem strange to us. So, But if we think about it, it's not all that foreign to us because um, they were doing some things, many things, that would, they would do some physical things to remind them of some spiritual things. And we do some of that today. So maybe you've heard about someone taking a spiritual fast um, that's doing something physical to remind them to spiritually be hungry for God. Um, Sometimes maybe you've been in some churches or in some some places in someone's home or some place where maybe someone kneels to pray. And that's doing something physical to remind them that spiritually they are to be, we are to be humble before God. And so likewise, these washing ceremonies, these washings were reminders to the people that they were spiritually 
and morally unclean before God. It was a physical reminder that they could not and should not try to enter into God's presence without spiritual cleansing. And we kind of do something like that, not on a spiritual level. I mean, before we meet somebody important, you know, someone maybe you love or you want to love, you know, or a job interview, what do we do? We usually clean up first, right? We go wash, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair. Well, I don't, but you probably comb your hair. <laughs> you, you do what you can to get rid of some uncleanliness because you don't want a speck, a spot, a stain, or a stink on you, right? Because this relationship or this job opportunity or this meeting is too important to take any chances, so we clean up. And in the Old Covenant, cleanliness was kind of like that. It was similar. Um, they knew that they couldn't be in the presence of God, uh, who is perfect, this perfect God, unless they were spiritually or morally clean first. And on this point, Jesus did actually agree with these teachers of religious law, that we are all stained before God. We are all unfit to stand in God's presence. But Jesus disagreed about the source of the uncleanliness. He disagreed about why they were unclean. And Jesus disagreed concerning what to do about being unclean. And so here's where we pick up this story. And Mark, now the next verse, verse 14. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. So they had just said, hey Jesus, why don't your guys do the proper ceremony of washing before? Why not? Jesus calls them together, the crowd, to come and hear. All of you listen, he says, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. See, these teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they were fixated on the exterior things, their dirty hands. But Jesus wants them to know, no, 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 no. The real stain in your life, he says, it comes from the inside, inside of our hearts. That's what drives us. That's what motivates us. Motivates us. That's what makes you, that's what makes you deep, 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 Deep down inside, we all know that feeling that something is not right inside of us. And sure, some days are better than others. Deep, deep down, though, inside, when we think about it, we know something is not right inside of us. Now, some people respond to that different ways. Some people get super religious. And so they go to creating a list of do's and don'ts. These are all the things I have to do to be clean. These are all things I can't do. So do's and don'ts, and they get religious, and they create a bunch of lists of things that they have to do. Some just say, well, they kind of excuse it away. Well, there's no moral absolutes at all. I'm just free to be me. I get to do what I want regardless of anything else. I get to pick the rules for me. And then some even say, well, maybe there is a God, just maybe, but he doesn't have like real kinds of authority over us. So we're never really going to stand before him and he's never going to really judge over us. He's not a judge. It's more like um, he's like this spiritual force that's out there, but he's not really involved in my life. Certainly not a judge. So even though we've tried to avoid that feeling inside that something's wrong, 
We've tried to rationalize it. We've tried to cover it up. We still can't shake that feeling, though, can we? We all wrestle with these deep feelings inside of guilt and shame, knowing somehow on the inside, I just don't quite measure up. And so the question is this. Where do those feelings of guilt and shame come from? Why do we have them? I mean, even though our culture has pretty much said that those are just ancient beliefs, we've given up on those. Even though our culture can't has said that's not really anything we have to be worried about, somehow we still can't shake that inescapable sense That if someone were to examine us from the inside, our motives, our hearts, that we would end up being rejected. We would be measured by them and we would fail. And even though our culture has rejected absolute authority in this kind of postmodern new atheist world, and we still have this constant feeling, if you're anything like me, that we have to hide our true self. We have to manage what other people see about us, what they know about us, and what they think about us. Because we aren't acceptable, and we know it. Which I believe kind of explains the reason why we have to constantly prove to other people that we really are worthy. So maybe we serve people around us so that they'll love us. So that they'll really prove to them, I have value. It's as if I'm saying, look at me. Can't you see me? Won't you please love me? Will you listen to me? We want that. We need that. And we live our lives doing so many things for other people, hoping that that's what we'll get in return. And deep, deep down inside, we just simply want the stains out. So maybe, just maybe, someday at some point, there will be a time where people will actually know my value. And when that happens, I tell myself, then I can relax. Then I can be happy then everything I've had to do to earn that, then it will all be worth it. But even then, if you think about it, if we could actually get to that point, you know what the truth is? We don't relax. We just keep working and working because there's still something deep inside of us that tells us we will be rejected. Because something is still broken deep inside of us. And it keeps us all every day trying to earn respect from other people, trying to prove to other people our worth and our value. So again, what's driving that? Have you ever wondered why you can never really allow yourself to disappoint someone else? Why is there always that we're working to achieve the love of somebody else around us? Why whatever we do, it just feels like it's not enough? If we're trying to work 
to earn that love from somebody else, you know what happens? It, it, it means we can't have good boundaries in our lives. It means that whatever they ask of me or whatever they have done to exploit me or to trample on me in the past, I have to overlook that and just do what has to be done because I can't disappoint them. Because for me, if you're anything like me, disappoint to disappoint them is a form of death in my life. Why does that bother me so much? Why does that bother you? I don't want it to. I say to other people, oh, it doesn't bother me, it's okay. But the truth is, I'm always wrestling with that on the inside. See, our culture can fool us into thinking that we don't believe in sin, or that we don't accept judgment from other people, or that everyone gets to decide for themselves what's right, but somehow it's always there, and you can't shake it. Somehow we just know we are stained and unclean. Jesus shows us why we can't shake it. Right after this incident with these religious law keepers, um, this is what happens next. We have Jesus um, in Mark 7, verse 17 now. Then Jesus went into, the into a house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Now, uh, apparently, they were confused too. And they missed it as well. So Jesus goes on. He says, don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through your stomach and then goes to the sewer. By this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Now stay with me here because we're getting ready to take a couple of sharp turns as we break this down and as we navigate this. So please hang in here with me for a moment. Jesus is telling his followers that whether it's clean or unclean, according to Jewish law, when you eat it, clean or unclean, it, it's just going to end up in the porta potty That's it. It never gets into the heart spiritually. Food, Jesus is saying, isn't the problem. Because nothing from the outside makes us unclean. He goes on. Next verse. And then he added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Somewhere on the list, that picked up every single one of us. And he said, these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It comes from within. What is wrong with this world? Why is this world such a miserable place? Why is there war and there strife between nations, races, and classes? Why? Why do relationships fall apart? The problem isn't out there around us. It's much deeper than that. It's much worse than that. Jesus is saying we are what's wrong. What comes out from the inside, that's the problem. 
Another place in Mark, Jesus uses a very shocking analogy a couple chapters later. Jesus said in verse 43 of chapter 9, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Now, Jesus is using a very extreme hand, an example of the hand, of the, then he goes on with the foot, with the eye. Think of it like this, because that's a little confusing to me. So, here's an example. Simple behavior in your life, in my life, it's like a fire in your kitchen at home. So, you're in your house, and your skillet is on fire. And you can truthfully say, at least it's not the whole house. It's just my skillet. But unless you take that skillet out, it soon will be your entire house that's on fire. I believe Jesus is saying everything that's wrong with this creation, everything that's wrong with you, everything that's wrong with me, those feelings that we can't shake all come from our broken, self-centered human hearts. The problem is sin, and we can't escape it. And we can't escape its impact. Jesus is saying because sin always leads to separation. It's going to separate you and me, and it's also going to more critically separate us from God. Sin always leads to some kind of intense suffering, first in this life, and then in the next. The Bible calls that next place, as Jesus just said here, calls it hell. And the stakes then are incredibly high. Which is why Jesus maybe used those drastic examples, that imagery of amputation in Mark chapter 9. Maybe that's why. Because it's serious business. And as Jesus is talking, he needs his listeners and us to understand the stakes. And so, Jesus pointed out a thing that makes, he says, unclean food? Okay, okay. It isn't the food. He said, our eyes, our hands? No, that's not really the problem. He's saying, it is your heart. I mean, if it were just our hands, okay, we, we could cut it off. I mean, sure, yes, that would be drastic. I don't want to do that. But, I mean, isn't it something, it's not something I really like and would look forward to or want to do. But listen, we could still live without a hand, right? We could. People do it all the time. If it were a foot, okay, okay, we could get rid of a foot, right? Again, it's not what we do. No, no, no. It would be worth it, perhaps, to restore our life if it were just a hand or just a foot. But they aren't the problem. It's what's on the inside that's the problem. And Jesus is saying that stuff on the outside, that's not really what defiles us. None of that can really stain us. What makes us unclean and unacceptable, Jesus says, is what comes from the heart. And we can't cut that out. It's not that simple. So what does that mean? 
no matter how hard we try to clean up our lives and to get the stains out, an external solution doesn't deal with the soul inside. Outside cleaning, outside in will never work because the problem is inside out. And that's why we just can't shake that feeling that we are unclean. And given our own self-centeredness, us demanding other people in our lives to revolve around us and, and, and live the way we want them to and do what we want to, them to. We all play a part in making this world a miserable, broken place. Yet in spite of this, we're still trying to address that feeling inside that we're unclean. And we're trying continually to use these external solutions. And Jesus said, he said, that's impossible. It's impossible. It won't work. But boy, do we keep trying. And we have tried in the past, and we're going to keep trying over and over and over again. Here's many of the ways we try. One here, religion. Sure. I, with religion, I can regulate myself. I can fix myself. I, I've got to do a better job of adhering to my list of, you must do this, Harley, and you must not do this. So we try with religion. We try with politics. Yeah, that'll fix the world. I'll regulate others. I'll make it illegal to do that. This is lawful and this is unlawful. Or we try education or intellect. You know, we'd say, if I, if I can learn to do better, then we will do better. And we can rise above whatever is making us feel this way. And so we work hard at making the next generation better. And eventually we can reach possibly whatever that is that we're trying to reach and we can be better. Or we try capitalism. Sure, I like that one. We can buy our way. We can buy our way, spend our way, trade our way out of this. Or we look to socialism. We have to help each other out of this. Or we look to science and we say we must advance our way out of this. Or we look to popular culture and we say we can feel our way out of this, self-express our way out of this. Or we might try serving others in Christian ministry, which means we'll just work till Jesus comes and we'll somehow work our way out of this. And none of it works. None of that works. Which should not really be a surprise. Because God has been telling us for centuries. And He's still telling us today. Here's an example. Jeremiah, one of the prophets in the Old Covenant. We should, he's been telling us this thousands of years. Here we go. It says, no amount of soap or lye can make you clean. He says, I still see the stain of your guilt. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Cleaning from the outside in will never, ever deal with the true problem. Because the true problem is my heart and your heart. But we're not stuck. That's the, po oh, the whole point of this good news thing we've been talking about. That's the whole point. 
of this gospel thing. Jesus is getting ready to show us how to get inside-out cleansing. We're going to go back to Mark to look at that. And I want you to notice just a moment ago, Jesus didn't say, hey, don't worry about all those laws. They're outdated. We don't need them anymore. They're obsolete. No, no. Mark tells us, Jesus declared, as of now, I make these foods clean. He's not saying that these cleanliness laws didn't work anymore. Because Jesus has high regard for Scripture. He, he wrote it. So he's not saying that's just old, we don't need it anymore. Jesus is saying, I am the king. I am King Jesus. I have authority over this. This is why I came. See, I called the world into existence. I called the storm to stop. I called that girl back to life. And now I'm calling foods clean, not because we've grown past these laws. No, 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 no. Not because they're obsolete, but because these laws, my laws are now complete. Jesus is saying, I can call these no more. You know why? Because I am here now. I am completing them for you. The whole purpose of these laws was to get you to move toward God and to pay attention to how sinful, how dirty, how stained you actually are. And now they are being completed. Now they are being fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, because I'm fulfilling them, I'm completing them. Jesus is saying that the cleanliness laws are being fulfilled and their purpose has been carried out. So often, if you're like me, we're kind of guilty of just zooming past things in Scripture that don't really make sense to us. And these cleanliness laws are among those. Because to us, we look, that's ancient, that's silly. Those are just out-of-date ideas. But let me be completely clear. These were serious. God was serious about these. It was a serious business to God, the cleanliness laws. God didn't play concerning these laws. Let me let me describe to you what, what I mean by that. So, the temple, um, it, I'm going to describe something that involves the high priest. It happened every year, once a year, one time out of the year. That's all. The temple was a big, large area. It was made up of of basically three courts. There was an outer court that a lot of people, most people could get into. Then there was an inner court. The inner court was limited into who could get into the inner court. And then there was this thing called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was separated from from the rest of everything else by a curtain that sounds small, but it was almost four inches thick and very, very tall. This was the most sacred spot in all of the world. That's where the Ark of the Covenant stayed. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And shining upon all of that was literally God's glory, His presence shining over that mercy seat. 
This was serious business to God. It was a dangerous place not to be taken lightly. Only one person on one specific day of the year could go into that place. The person was the high priest of Israel. And the day was the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And now, here's why I mention all of that. Because we're going to take a peek in the Old Covenant at a prophet named Zechariah who's having um, uh, this, uh, God's giving him this vision. And it's concerning these things. And this happened centuries before Jesus shows up. So Zechariah has this vision, and in this vision he can see inside of the Holy of Holies, which he had never seen before. And in this vision, Zechariah sees the current high priest who is Joshua. And that would be pronounced by us, Joshua. By them, they pronounced it Yehoshua. All right? And an incredible amount of preparation would go in before the high priest could get into that part of the temple. So let me describe what would have to happen. Uh, A week before entering the temple, the high priest was put into seclusion. And he was completely alone so that he would not accidentally eat any, uh, any food that was unclean. They would bring his food to him. So it was clean food. And there he would, you know, just kind of prepare his heart, prepare his body, trying to be clean. The night before entering the temple, the high priest would not go to bed at all. He stayed up all night long and he was praying, reading scripture to purify his soul. And on the day of the event where he was to go into that place where only he could go one time a year, the Holy of Holies, uh, uh, he would bathe from head to toe. And then they would dress him in pure, unstained white linen. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer an animal sacrifice. And this sacrifice was to God and he was paying the penalty for his own sin. And with that sacrifice, he would sprinkle blood onto the mercy seat. And then the high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies, but he wasn't done yet. He would bathe again completely. And he would put on brand new white linen. And then he went in with another sacrifice. And this would be for the sins of the priest. And he would come out again. And once again, he had to bathe a third time. And new white linen was placed on him again. And finally, he went in and the sacrifice was to pay the sins for all the people. You need to know. This was all done in public. All that cleansing, all that bathing was done between a very thin, translucent screen so that everybody could see him bathe and everybody could see him dress. Which I know is kind of weird. But remember, the high priest was their representative before God. And it was done this way so that all the people could see the preparation and they could all see what was done and that it was done correctly. And as they were watching, they were cheering for him because he was representing them before God. And listen, after all that bathing, that white, there was not a speck 
on him. The high priest was as pure as humanly possible. Now, understanding all of that, all that cleansing ritual that he had to go through, all that tradition surrounding this annual event, let's now go back to Zechariah's vision found in Zechariah chapter 3. I'm going to describe it. Zechariah, God allowed him to see Joshua in the Holy of Holies, standing there before God. Remember, after all of that washing, after that white linen being placed on him, after all of that, as clean as humanly possible, and Zechariah looks at that scene and looks at Joshua. And after all of that cleaning, he sees Joshua is absolutely, totally covered in excrement. He is totally defiled standing there before God. And in this vision that God gave Zechariah, He gave Zechariah the ability to see Joshua the way God sees us. In spite of all of my efforts, in spite of all of your efforts to do good and be good and be pure and be clean, despite all of our efforts to be moral, to cleanse ourselves, to wash and clean and remove every stain that we simply know is present in our lives. In spite of all that, God sees our hearts. He knows something about you that your mom doesn't know. Something that your spouse doesn't know. Something that your kids don't know. God knows your heart and my heart, and it's full of filth as I stand before God. But then Zechariah sees something. He sees God in that moment say to Joshua, Take off his filthy clothes. God says, I have taken away his sin. And now in the vision, God has rich garments placed upon Joshua. And God says, listen, Zechariah. Zechariah, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. And I myself, I will remove the sin from this land. In a single day. Zechariah, someday the sacrifices will all be over because the cleanliness laws will be fulfilled. Now fast forward centuries later, another Joshua shows up. See? Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, They're all basically the same name. And here's the point. Centuries later, after Zechariah's vision, right on time, according to God's timing, another Joshua showed up. And on his day of atonement, one week before, Jesus begins to prepare himself for what's coming. And the night before, Jesus didn't go to sleep at all in the garden that night. Instead of cheers from the other people, he was betrayed and he was abandoned. His closest friends denied him 
Instead of words of encouragement, they shouted, crucify him. And then the father turned his back on Jesus. And like the high priest, Jesus was bathed too. But he was bathed in human spit. And instead of this Joshua being clothed in rich garments, he was stripped and he was beaten and he was killed. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See? God clothed Jesus not in white linen. He clothed Jesus in our sin. In your sin and in my sin. And Jesus took that sin and He wore that sin. And that's so that we can get what the first Joshua got. What the high priest got. That's so we can get that white linen. I want to read something to you. That white linen, here's what it is. Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. The sacrificed Lamb, right? And His bride, this is the church. His bride has prepared herself. She has been given. We didn't earn it. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen, listen, that's not what Jesus put on. He put on our sin so that we could have His fine white linen. Through Jesus at the ultimate cost to himself, God clothed his bride in costly garments. And the cost, yeah, the cost was the blood of Jesus. Here's the point. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can deal with with the problem that you know exists deep inside. That one thing that we simply can't shake, the problem that we have tried for years and years to correct in all manner of effort and ways, and all different ideas and education and possibly even just apathy. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that deals with this stain that's on your heart and that stain that's on my heart. Are you living with guilt? Have you spent your whole life trying to make up for that guilt you feel inside? Have you been fighting against what you just simply know is true about the inside of you? Maybe fighting it through politics or serving or being good or uh, being a good community person or religion. Just doing more and more and more, all from the outside. Friends, let me be 
as clear as I can, as loving as I can, that will never work. No matter how hard you try, no matter how talented you are, no matter how kind you really might be, this morning I'm asking you, throw it all down. Cast it all down at the feet of this King we call Jesus. Rely on Him and Him alone. Cling to Him and Him alone. Trust Him and Him alone. He is the only way to remove the stain that we know is on our life. Jesus came according to God's perfect plan at the perfect time appointed by God. And in one day, God's branch removed it all. Please, rely on Jesus. Let's pray.